Thank you. I wonder if it would be deemed legal to have two consecutive prayers in a row. In a row. This kind man, was it Josh? Just prayed for me, but I wonder if you will pray also. But one of the things I like to do at church to remind us that what we're doing is something that's much more not akin to watching TV when we listen to someone speak about Christ is ask you to spend a moment asking Jesus, who is familiar with all your ways, if he might give you something that would let you leave here today and not be disappointed. It's crummy to have to go to chapel or to get to go to chapel and to leave and be disappointed. Nothing I could use. So there's a bold request. Say, Jesus, will you give me something that won't leave me disappointed? Will you take a moment? You know for us that silences are hard to come by. And even when we're silent, there's a lot of static inside. You know the ways in which we are a great disappointment with ourselves. You know the pressures that cause our shoulders to buckle. And that can cause us to swirl around and around ourselves like water going down a drain. You also know how susceptible we are as people who expect things from you to be very disappointed with you. We sure don't want that. So I'm asking right now for these dear students some of whom I know and love, all of whom you know and love, will you give them yourself? Will you rouse their suspicions that your affection can be counted on? Will you increase their confidence and let them leave here today glad they came? Come, Holy Spirit, we invite you now. Amen. I've been invited here today, I think, to tell you something that I'm really good at. That's not what they said when they invited me, but that's what I'm going to tell you. And you might be thinking to yourself, oh, I know what he's going to say. He's going to talk about the time when he wasn't a Covenant College student back in the early 90s, but he did enroll to audit a class at Covenant College so that he could be on the illustrious Covenant intramural basketball team known as Menudo. Menudo was named for a Mexican boy band in the 90s. And on those courts, I blazed. I dunked a basketball. And you might think now, well, he looks like he ate a basketball. But I did. I dunked on those courts in those days. But I'm not here to tell you about that. I'm here to tell you about something that I'm even better at than that. Now, I wasn't very good at that. Something I'm better at than Dwight Schrute is at raising beets or selling paper. 
I'm good. And I know, my mom told me not to say things I'm good at. I've been taught things, not to boast and all of that. And I know the Bible. But I'm really, 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 really good at asking God for things. That's my best thing. In our common parlance, we'd say, that's my superpower. And I want to talk to you about that for a little bit because it seems to me that something can happen to us. And maybe why I might have something worthwhile to say, maybe not, you'll decide. I heard a man say, when he was about your age, he was on a missions trip. And there was a sick kid, had some kind of physical malady that made her life a terror. And all the kids in the youth group and the minister, youth minister, they all were roused to this great bit of expectation. We're on a mission trip. We're in another country. Let's ask God to heal her. And so they pulled together all their expectation, all that they could grab, and they believed with all their might And they laid hands on this little girl. And they prayed with their young, brittle faith, so eager. And then guess what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. Nothing that they could tell happened. Nothing that they asked for happened. Nothing that they expected came to fruition. And he said, that day, I think, I pulled a major spiritual muscle. Young people don't pull muscles very much, but if you've played sports, you might have pulled muscles. You get older. I just had a spill on the moonshine trails last week, and I pulled a muscle. I didn't know I was going to be able to walk very well for a while. He pulled a major spiritual muscle, and he kind of made a truce with himself right there. I won't expect too much. I'll pray with some amount of cover. Your will be done. That can be my limit of liability for everything that I ask God. AKA, I know I'm asking you this, but I don't really expect you to do anything about it. When You ask God by taking him seriously for things. Things he's told you to ask for. Things you know to ask for. Things that would be loving for him to do. And they don't happen. It's very easy to get overwhelmed. It's very easy to give up. It's very easy to shut down your heart. I just won't expect too much. I will go through the motions. I go to Covenant College. I have to pray and stuff. A preacher was once talking to this man in his congregation. And the man in his congregation was getting excited. And as he started to talk, he He accidentally let out a curse word, a swear. 
And you know that ministers are kind of like witches with water. When they hear someone cuss, they instantly wilt and melt and fade away. I think you might be laughing, but I can't tell. That's the fun of preaching to covered faces. No feedback. Preachers can handle people cussing, by the way, and sometimes they have been known to do it themselves, but not under contract. But this preacher, when he realized his error, I mean, this this man talking to his preacher realized his error. He said to the preacher, he said, oh, preacher, I'm sorry to talk like that. You know, I cuss a little, you pray a little, Ain't neither one of us means a thing by it. If you've had serial disappointments in prayer, if you've gotten your feelings hurt with God, if you have taken Him seriously and nothing happened when you did, it's very easy to clamp down, to tamp down on any amount of imagining what he might do. And so prayer becomes a chore, it becomes something that's rote, becomes something that we don't fiddle with or take very seriously. But I would like to urge you today To consider that there might be reasons to take it seriously. And I know you know there are reasons, but I want to give you some suggestions. And it starts with this Psalm 16, 116, I'm sorry. It starts out in a kind of mercenary way. It seems like, no, 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 this couldn't be theologically correct. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. If you've ever walked down the halls of an elementary school where they're like kindergartners and they make a picture for their moms on Mother's Day, you will see no drawings that say things like, when prompted by the teacher, why do you love your mom? They won't say, I love my mom for who she is in and of herself. She is composed of such wondrous nurture. She's boundlessly gentle. She's so confoundingly patient because most kindergartners don't know the word confoundingly yet. They will not talk about the essence of their mother. They will not know how to describe her characteristics, her personality, they just won't know because they're dumb. No, they just haven't learned yet. But you know what they will know? They will know that they love their mother. And you know what they will say? They'll say something like, I love my mom because she makes me pancakes. Because she makes me pancakes. I love my mom because when I cry, she picks me up and she hugs me. I love my mom 
because she got me a baseball glove. And then the moms, they get these and they read them and they are sorely disappointed. Moms hate kind things from their children. Just put that down. Because, okay, I try to be funny. It works 17 and a half percent of the time. They love it. They eat it up. They put it on the refrigerator. They hang on to it. Later on, when it's time to clear things out, they can't do it. Their kids go off to Covenant College. They go through their stuff. And they're like, I can't get rid of this. It's so sweet. I would like to urge you to think about something. If you are disappointed in prayer and you find yourself having a hard time taking it very seriously and you've, you've, you've gotten let down, I would like to make a few suggestions to you because I've learned a lot about prayer in the last 20 years or even longer than that since I became a Christian. And, and I want to tell you a few of those things. If you're discouraged and you've prayed for big stuff and it didn't happen, let me urge you to go small. There's a saying, go big or go home. That is a great saying for another day and for another kind of person who has executive styled hair and glistening teeth. But for us, for right now, in the middle of a pandemic, no, we're not in the middle of a pandemic, hopefully, Lord, please not middle. At the end of a pandemic, coming out of a pandemic, go small. Look around your life and say, what are the things that I need? What are the things that the people around me need? I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. One of the pieces of fodder for the things that you might pray about when you pray small, when you pray for the the local things, the things in your life. You might lean on your, your distress. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, save me. You know who E.B. White is, don't you? Charlotte's Web. You might have had a class where you had to buy a book that you left somewhere called Strunk and White's Elements of Style. That's E.B. White, too. He wrote it with his Cornell professor, Strunk. I don't know what his name was. Jimmy Strunk, we'll call him. But E.B. White wrote this obituary back in 1931 for his dog named Daisy. It was a Scottish terrier. It got run over by a yellow cab on a New York City street. And it's fairly tragic and sad. But he says, this dog of mine had this peculiar, quirkish temper. Had an odd habit in her old age. When people were walking by, she would grab hold of their ankles. Which she loved and almost no one else did. But she would grab hold of them so softly, she just held on to them. She never even broke the skin. She never even broke the thread of their socks. She had such a gentle grip, but she would grab hold of their ankle. And I've always wondered, what accounts for this odd behavior from this little black dog, Daisy? And he says, and I think I understood. 
She suffered from chronic perplexity, and it gave her great comfort to take hold of something. She suffered from chronic perplexity, and it gave her great comfort to take hold of something. If you're someone who happens to have the gift, see, I said I was really good at prayer, asking for things, not good at prayer, good at asking for things. It helps if you have some chronic perplexity in your life. Are you confused? Are you scared? Do you not know what to do? You don't know what to say to your friend? You're not sure how you're going to pay for tuition next month? You're not sure what you're going to do for a job? You need new tires for your car? You don't want to ask your parents? You got in trouble? You don't want to talk to your parents? You're not sure if you should keep dating that guy? You can't quit doing that thing that you wished you could quit doing. You can't get outside your head. If you have confusions, if you have perplexity, if you are unsure, you have an invitation to take Christ, the resurrected Christ, who offers help from outside the walls of this world into the mangled mess and chronic perplexity of your life who says, do you have chronic perplexity? Do you have overwhelming trouble and sorrow? Do you have confusions galore? Then here's me to take hold of. Go small. Go for the elements of your life. Pray about those things. And then don't just go small. Go specific. I love the Lord, for He heard my cry. Because He turned His ear to me, I'll call on Him as long as I live. I brought this notebook up here because something occurred to me a while back. It occurred to me that God does things and that my faith came alive when I started asking Him to do things very specifically. Which means you got to put your neck out sometimes. It means you got to expose your heart to a little bit of risk. You might be disappointed. God might say yes. He might say no. He might say wait. But when you pray generally for people and you say, bless my good friends Nigel and Cassandra. You know, they're from New Zealand. If you ask God to bless them, you don't know if it happened. But if you're praying for a woman who's in deep distress and you're right there with her and you say, because you've learned from the Psalms when the psalmist says, come quickly to save me. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and may be put to shame. And you put yourself on the line and you say specifically, Lord, grant this woman a sign of your goodness today. Today. Oh my gosh. I've done that. I do things like that. Terrifies me. Terrifies me. You know why? because I do not like to be embarrassed. You know why I'm in, terrified to be in front of you today? The same reason. Every time I speak, I don't know what I'm gonna say. I'm embarrassed, I'm worried about being embarrassed when I pray for people, when I ask to pray for people, I'm worried I'm gonna be embarrassed. But then I get to, when I overcome, when I step over the threshold of that embarrassment, I get to see God do specific things when I ask Him to do specific things. And then I say, wow! Because if you're disappointed in prayer and you have chronic perplexity, look small, go specific, 
and then keep track, keep watch. I ran across years ago this, this little, not years, a couple years ago, this little snippet from George Mueller. He was the orphan guy, the orphan care guy who didn't ask for any donations from anybody. And I just saw this little snippet. He did not, he didn't have Warren Buffett's kind of money to hand off to his kids later. He left his children a legacy of over 20,000 answers to prayer. And I thought, well, that's a rather peculiar and quantified thing. How do they know that? Well, because he wrote a lot of stuff down. You know, people don't do what you expect, they do what you inspect. And I started thinking, huh, I wonder if I could inventory God's action in my life. When I was a kid in a Baptist church, my, da- my granddaddy was a Southern Baptist preacher, and we would sing, Count your blessings, name them one by one. And you had to sing it like that. Count your blessings. And you're like, man, doing this kind of stuff at the same time. Name them one by one, and then it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You have to say, Lord. I used to make fun of that, but then I thought, hey, maybe there's something to that. I love the Lord for He heard my cry because He turned His ear to me. I'm going to call Him as long as I live. Like, He answered my prayer. I love Him for that. And I think the psalmist says stuff like, recounting the people of Israel, they, they got rescued, you know. God heard their groans, but they did not give any thought to His miracles in Egypt. That's Psalm 106 if you want to check it out. They did not remember His many kindnesses. You know, faith deconstruction is all the rage these days. But if you had seen, as I think I have, I probably in the last two years, I bet I've seen 1,500 answers to prayer. How do I know? I'm keeping track. I've got a book right here. At the beginning of the book I wrote, Ask and it will be given to you. Answers I can remember from the God who hears. Do you hear all those hedges? Answers I can remember. That's that's the only hedge. But I just started, and I've started a daily discipline. Not because of spirituality, but because of my amnesia. Because can you remember what you did last Tuesday? At 3.30 in the afternoon? Well, if you were and I had a class, you might remember. Can you remember what you were doing last Saturday at noon? It's hard to remember what you did yesterday. What did God do for me yesterday? So I've started to think, huh, I'm going to ask small, I'm going to ask specific, and then I'm going to keep track. I'm going to watch so that I can recount, so I can remember his kindnesses. And you know what happens? It bolsters me. It changes the way I expect because I know every morning I have a note on my apps and I say, answers to record for April the 21st, 2021. But I don't do that on April the 20th because I would have put April 20th, not 21st. You get the idea. And then I say, Lord, help me to remember. You who cause your wonders to be remembered, help me to remember what I saw you do yesterday. What answers did I see yesterday? And I write them down. And I'm making a daily discipline, not because I am righteous, but because I am chronically perplexed. And it does me so much good 
to be able to hear something, to see a widow that I've been praying for get a job that I've been longing for, and she gets it, and I write it down, and I tell people about this, and my friend, my associate pastor, our associate pastor, says, put that one down in your book. When a budget gets met, when a headache goes away, when my son does well on a test, because I pray small and I pray specific, and I keep watch. And I do all this because I'm a nervous guy. That's why I'm so good at it. Because it occurs to me, like, I don't know what to do about half the time. And that's a lie. I don't know what to do about 93.7% of the time. I do not know what to do, oh Lord, but my eyes are upon you. I don't know what to say in a great deal of conflictual situations I'm in, unmendable troubles that I'm confronted with. So I'm constantly saying, Lord, give me words. I don't know what to say. I wake up in the morning, unlike you perhaps, and... I'm like, ah. Oh. Some of you greet the day with joy and springs. There's little flowers and blue skies. I, br- I greet the day with a huff and a groan. But I say, Lord, by day's end, you who put songs in our hearts, you call forth songs of joy. Today, work in such a way that by the time the day ends, I'm giving you praise. I've seen them do it. I've seen financial repair. I've seen cars get fixed. I've seen provisions made. And so have you. You've seen it too. But I'm keeping track. If you have any chronic perplexity, if you have any serial disappointment, let me urge you to model your life after these psalmists who say things like, I love the Lord because he heard my voice. Because he turned his ear to me, I'll call on him as long as I live. Go small. Go specific. And then keep track. And it might help in all of this. If you start to use your imagination and to think, what if Jesus means for me to take all this seriously? What if the same Jesus who walked through Jericho and heard the crowds And from it, a man crying out, who's just learned that Jesus is walking by, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And they say, hush, man, quiet down. But he cries out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, bring him over here. And they say, he's calling you, get quick, get to your feet. And Jesus walks over to him and he looks at him. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And perhaps imagine when you go to prayer that Jesus is putting that same question to you. Pretend he's putting that question to you. But then, imagine that his intention to answer is anything but pretend. I used to pray with this old woman. She was tough, and she expected God to do stuff. And she taught me a lot about prayer. She was charismatic. She taught me not to watch myself. And she would say, 
There are two kinds of people who deal with sheep. You know, the Bible calls us sheep. Butchers and shepherds. And our Lord ain't no butcher. You have a shepherd who cares about your chronic perplexity and who looks at you and says, what do you want me to do for you? How will you answer? Go small, go specific, and keep track of it. And you also might be able to say, look at all the things the Lord has done for him. I can't get over it. Amen.